0: Day communication. Again, we hit that notion of, um, you know, even if you're here as a, a newlywed or an engaged couple, and you begin to think, what are we going to talk about two decades from now? now? I mean, at that point, we're going to pretty much know everything that there is to know about this other person, right? And in a one sense, it's yes. Uh, but that doesn't make day-to-day communication any less important because what i have found time and again is that those couples who have been married for a very long time and and they begin to say we just don't feel like we know each other anymore we don't feel like we're bonded or close or connected and they can complete one another's sentences they know every story before it starts I can name that story in two words. I mean they can they just, they can nail it. And it's it's something has gone on in that day-to-day communication. So if you'll allow me to picture day-to-day communication this way, it's kind of like the water in a fish tank. Nobody ever notices the water in a fish tank. Nobody ever goes, that fish tank has great water. But water is really important. It's what allows the fish to swim and be alive. It's what allows the plants to move. It's what reflects the light with all the cool aquatic features that that a fish tank has. But the only time that the water in a fish tank ever gets noticed is when it's gone bad. And somebody says, yuck, dude, man, you need to clean the water in your fish tank because that's nasty. Um, And in some ways, that's what day-to-day communication in a marriage is like. It's one of those things that we don't tend to notice when it's good. But it's kind of that environment in which all the other good parts of marriage live and have their life, but when it's not going well, uh, we tend to go, ah, this is just going really badly, yuck. Um, And so in order to get us started on that, we will use a quote here from Paul Tripp, and he's drawing upon what happens when it goes poorly. He says, because they were not talking about these things uh, with one another, they began to develop individual thoughts about them. So the character and quality of friendship between a husband and wife always functions as an accurate measure of the health of their marriage. Now, when we get into this area of day-to-day communication, one of the things that, that often comes out in a seminar like this is you get some kind of mathematical ratio where we're supposed to say seven nice things for every one bad thing that we say. And if we let that go too far... Uh, we go something like, that was the dumbest thing I have ever heard. I love, you, I love 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 you. I cannot imagine. I mean, only your mother would have done that. You look pretty, you look pretty, you look pretty. I mean, it it, it just... It, and somehow, if we just get the numbers right, it's all okay. Um, and And we kind of know that's not right. And, and so... Uh, I'm going to avoid giving us some ratio, but what I want us to get from this is that we need to make sure that the number of pleasant interactions that don't necessarily have to be compliments or affirmations, but they just need to be the kind of interactions that show interest in what's going on in each other's world need to be enough that when we have to have a difficult or unpleasant conversation, that we can do so without it feeling like the water in our marital fish tank just grew toxic. Because there's going to be days when the transmission goes out in the truck and we've got to have conversations about vehicles and budget and what we're going to cut and what we're going to do. And all of that is kind of those tense, not pleasant parts. And we need to be having enough conversations that that are nice, that are interested in one another, that when we talk about that, our marriage doesn't begin to feel like a business meeting. Uh, And what I want to do is help us to see how we can set that up. Uh, And one thing that I think is helpful is um, what in our house we call a State of the Union address. Uh, Now, I told you, I grew up in a small town. Uh, Part of growing up in a small town is we only had three television channels. Uh, And so when the president came on television... Uh, He was on every station, uh, and we were not particularly politically minded. So we actually had these kinds of conversations in our home growing up when the State of the Union address was on because we couldn't watch anything on television. Uh, But what I'm doing is a word play here that would simply mean, how are we doing? We turn off the television, and we ask each other questions like, how are you? Is there anything I've begun to neglect that was important to you that I haven't noticed? Is there anything that I've started to do that's annoying that I haven't caught on to yet? Is there anything that's become more important to you that that you haven't had a chance to share with me yet that that you begin to feel neglected? How are we doing? Because something powerful happens when we reverse the usual tide for those conversations. Because we're going to have those conversations in one of two ways. Uh, we're either going to invite those conversations or those conversations are going to blow up. And when we invite those conversations, it shows concern, it shows love, it shows interest, and we win points. When those conversations blow up because we just haven't asked those kinds of questions in a really long time, uh, then we're going to lose a lot of points. I'm not pro-scorekeeping in marriage, but it's just kind of a metaphor that I think we all understand. Uh, and so, if we would take one evening per month, and instead of watching a single sitcom, we had a State of the Union address where we just asked some basic questions like that, the overall quality of our marriage, I think, would enhance exponentially. Now, um, Brian Chappell uh, and his wife. Draw upon a point of day-to-day communication that I think merits our attention. Um, Kathy says, "I can't make fun of some. I can't make fun of you in someone else's home, and respect you in our home." Early in our marriage, and this is Brian talking now, my wife and I agreed not to belittle one another in public, even in jest. Our agreement came after noticing how often in group settings. Our friends used ridicule, often disguised as teasing, to get an edge over the other. Remarks about appearance, reminders about past embarrassment, or drawing attention to a dumb comment are standard ways that couples use the shield of social conversation to jab at each other's faults and foibles. My wife and I actually enjoy teasing one another, but we do not kid in a way that is demeaning for the sake of a laugh from others." I just want to echo that. Uh, I want you as a couple to have a lot of fun and a great sense of humor. I feel like my wife and I laugh a lot and enjoy one another. We just have a rule. We don't do that at one another's expense in front of other people. Um, And let me offer it to you in this kind of principle that I think will help it make sense why that's important. Your baseline for honor in your sense of humor is where your baseline for dishonor begins in conflict. Let that sink in for a moment. I noticed this when I was counseling a couple, and they were a lot of fun to interact with. I mean, they would just kind of banter back and forth, and it was just this really kind of funny conversation. And I realized how quickly they went from funny to nasty. Because they would jab at one another and they were on the brink of dishonor in their humor so that when they got to that point where they were upset, there wasn't any margin before they got to dishonor. They were flirting on the edge of it the entire time in the way that they were joking so that when they got upset, there was no buffer between their normal communication and dishonor. And I think we serve our marriage as well if in our humor, we stay well away from that border of dishonor so that at those points when we, uh, when we do get upset with one another and, and our conversation naturally drifts towards dishonor, we got some room before we start really offending one another. One of my goals is that when my wife hears her name on my lips, she feels incredibly safe and she never feels any instinct to brace or withdraw. If she is ever part of a story, and oftentimes we, she'll come to an event like this and she'll hear me talk and she'll say, you know, you don't have to make me sound perfect every time uh, that you come up and you do one of those talks. And I'm trying to score some points and I'm like, what else would I say? Um, but besides that, If there is anything that needs to be addressed, it doesn't need to be heard by you from me. And so what that means in terms of me telling stories in a place like this, if anybody's ever going to be the goat, it's going to be me. If anybody overreacts to our son in the conga line, that story is going to be me. Because I want my wife to feel safe whenever... Her name is spoken by me in any setting. And I think that is an excellent commitment that I would commend to uh, you uh, within your marriages. Now, Winston Smith again. He says, because of sin and shame, we often hide our thoughts and feelings from ourselves and from our spouse. He makes this quirky little statement that I think is very true. Honesty isn't just communication free from lies. When I have good conversations with my wife, it's not just that she learns things about me. Often I learn things about me. As I'm having a conversation, there's things that are just brought out to the point where as I say it, I'm realizing, you know, I do think that. That is true. I just hadn't been brought to the point where I... Said that out loud. And so, day-to-day communication is not just something where I am downloading information, show that my wife feels close to me, and that kind of stuff. It is also a part of God showing me things about myself. Now, again, that excuse that couples give, what do we talk about? What I've tried to do in your notebook is to fully appendicate that excuse, Uh, Appendicate is this strange superpower uh, that exists from superheroes in comic books read by nerds, and it means to eliminate an excuse with an excessive amount of information or supplement. Uh, And so if you will look in your notebook, there are over 250 conversation topics arranged in 10 different areas so that you can never again say, we don't have anything to talk about. And those 250 conversation topics are in addition to all of the other conversations that are embedded throughout the Fuller Notebook in the other five seminars that exist in this notebook. So never again should any of us ever be able to say, we don't have anything to talk about. But what I want to do is I'm not going to go over all 250 conversation topics. I just want to give you an idea of the kinds of conversations that you would have in each of those areas, and then give you some ideas on how you would use it. Some of the conversations are just daily review areas. Uh, Those kinds of conversations where we catch up on what's going on in each other's life, not as a parent or a reporter or spectator or teacher, uh, but as a prayer partner, as an encourager, as a friend. You know, if I were going to summarize the questions in that section, it would be things like, what's the highlight of your day? What's the low light of your day? What's God doing in your life? But then there's reflective conversations. And in here, part of what we're trying to get at is that one of the measures of closeness in a relationship is the kind of conversation that we're willing to engage in. And so the kinds of conversations that I'm willing to engage in with my wife should be more than with anybody else because one of the measures of closeness is how many kinds of conversations am I willing to engage with you? Uh, Romantic conversations. Uh, Here I think there's a temptation that we fall into. Um, We think romantic conversations are just these nice little one-liners we give or retelling certain events about our engagement or special trips that we went on And we feel like we've done that. I mean, how many times can we do that? Let me frame it for you this way. Think about whatever your favorite hobby or interest or sports team is. And think about the people that you have those conversations with. Do you tend to have the same conversation over and over again? Is there really that much different to say about the Dukies and the Tar Heels and the Wolfpack, Or do we tend to have the same conversation over and over again, and yet there's something about reliving it and retelling it that as we get into it, whether a sports team or an interest, that it just kind of it brings it to life and it's fun to rehearse again. Why would we treat the romantic aspect of our marriage any differently than that? Why do we think that somehow there is less life in rehearsing those good aspects of our marriage, those special memories, those compliments that we want to give? If we don't think of those as being less valuable when we're sharing the same story about our sports team, why would we think that about the romantic things in our marriage? Planning. Um, Again, sometimes we hear that and it comes across as negative But it's not laborious to prepare for the things that we enjoy. Uh, Evaluative sometimes gets in the the same boat. Uh, But the fact that we evaluate something doesn't mean that we're disinterested in it. Uh, One of the things that my wife particularly enjoys is home decorating. And, And so when my wife tells me ideas about things that she would like to do with a particular room in the house, does that mean she is dissatisfied with our home? No. It means she's really excited about it and, and something that she really enjoys. She is looking for ways to make it more unique and special and reflect our characters. And you know, on this wall here, do you think we could get a bunch of kind of old family pictures and put those up? And in this room, I you know, I've been working on this project. I think we could put it there. Her her evaluative conversation. Is is not a point of dissatisfaction, and, and oftentimes within marriage, when we evaluate things, we can begin to get that defensive attitude that if we're evaluating it, we mean some we mean something's wrong with it. And it's oftentimes why people don't want to come to events like this because we're just going to hear things that we have to evaluate, and that means something's wrong. We we'd have to improve on it, uh, and we so want to protect ourselves from that. Uh, confessional conversations. Again, marriage is two sinners living in the same house, sharing the same space and resources. Uh, Our sin is going to show up to one another. In confessional conversation, our spouse is rarely, if ever, going to be surprised. Um, But here's what confessional conversations communicate that's so valuable. It communicates that I value our relationship more than my pride. And that's actually an incredibly romantic thing. When I say, I failed in this way and I see how it impacted you and, and I want to do better at that and I just want to acknowledge I'm, I'm sorry for that. There's a sense that when I do that unprompted and you're not upset with me, that it says, I value honoring and caring for you more than I do protecting me. And that's what allows a relationship to feel safe and open And so confessional conversations are good. General interest conversations. How many things do you know a lot about simply because they're important to your spouse? I can tell you a lot about cross-stitching. I can tell you the history on an antique dresser that sits in our bedroom from the 1800s because it was one of the pieces of furniture that when we were in seminary and we were saving for and we couldn't save much on any given month, but we purchased that. And I can tell you the history and background simply because crafts and history are important to my spouse. And my wife can tell you a lot about coaching little kids baseball uh, and the fundamentals of what a good swing looks like and what their feet are supposed to do and how you rally a team, not because those things are really important to her but because those things are important to me. And so how many things are you becoming an expert on, not because they're important to you, but simply because they're important to your spouse and you enjoy their enjoyment of them? That's the kind of things we're getting at here. Uh, Spiritual conversations. Again, often this is one of those areas where the kinds of things that are... Natural spiritual aptitudes for one spouse are just different. Uh, for me, it's probably not a surprise when you look at the kind of materials. I am much more of a student. Uh, those those spiritual disciplines that have to do with reading and studying, those are the ones that I am stronger in. And my wife, she is much more relational, and so that aspect of prayer and community and that kind those are her strengths. And it would be very easy. For us to become intimidated by the strengths of the other, and to make that a point where if we talk about our strengths and weaknesses, we would we would be in a, a point to say, "I just uh, we're going to go back to where I'm weak and she's strong," and I don't know if I want to do that again. Uh, and we miss that kind of ironing, sharpening iron, um, beginning to see the value in it, and and what it looks like that this other person who has different strengths in our household they just bring to life in a way that I get to see that I wouldn't otherwise. Social conversations. Um, Your spouse should be your best friend. They shouldn't be your only friend. Um, There are certain things that I can do for my wife, and there are certain things that I need to know which friends do best for her. There are certain days that I can just tell my wife is kind of stressed out, uh, and I go, this would be a good day for her to hear from her good friend Christy. Uh, and so I get on email and I go, Christy, it would be a good day for you to call your good friend Sally. Uh, and I come home and my wife looks at me and she says, did you, did you talk to Christy today? And I said, that depends, am I in trouble? And she says, no. And I said, yes. Um, it, but there are certain ways that I know there are particular friends that can comfort and draw out aspects of my wife that are just particularly good for her. And I want to do as many of those things as I can, but I also want to be a student for who does those things well and to be somebody who can connect and facilitate some of that interaction. And then just popcorn. Fun, cheesy, goofy conversations. Um, These are just spontaneous, the kind of stuff that you'd look in a book and you'd roll your eyes and go, eh, that might be fun to talk about. Uh, And we throw some of those in there. But if you were to say, what do we do with this list? Uh, Because we're not going to pull out this notebook and go through 250 of them in order. Um, Here would be one way to go about it. Get a Kleenex box. Uh, Without the Kleenex. uh, It's this perfect little box that has a hand-sized hole already carved in the top of it. And pick whichever of these that you think are a good fit for your marriage and throw them in the box. And you come home, you're at the end of the day, and you're brain dead. You're not at this point where creativity is there for you at all. And you want to talk and you want to bind, but you just, you got nothing. Have a little raffle. Pull one out. If it's a dud, throw it back. Do it again. But just use it as a set of jumper cables. Um, here's another great aspect of having a box like that in your living room. Your friends might see it. And they go, why do you have a Kleenex box with no Kleenex in your, in your living room? and you share with them, this is what we do. Because I think all of us should have things in our home that when we have friends over, they look at and they think, that's a good idea. I want to take and do something similar to that. Um, Now, if you say, my spouse is just a much better talker than I am. Here's my advice. In the morning... Pick something out of the box. Put it in your pocket. Think about it. Get a 12-hour head start. <laughs> they will not be upset. But come home preloaded for a conversation that was there. All you had to do was pull it out of a box. And she will, I'm assuming she, she will love you for it. But it's It's there. Now, a warning label that I have to put on this. Um, we we had a staff member here who, who tried this, and it was actually staff member's wife, and staff member happened to be my supervisor, and it almost cost me my job. Um, and, and she would try to play that game during a football game. Uh, there are certain times uh, when this is, is not advisable. Um, but um, you know, another aspect. Uh, if you look on the back of the notebook, there. In these ten areas, there's just a spot where you go through and evaluate your strengths and weaknesses. Which of these do you do well and naturally, and which do you not do well and naturally? Let me tell you how I would encourage you to use that. Um, Use that to identify uh, your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, And think of it as I try to do with my kids in school. You know, there are certain classes... Subject areas that my kids are naturally strong at. And there's other areas that they're just not as good at. When I think about how my boys are going to change the world, they're going to change the world in their area of strength. I just want their weaknesses to be strong enough that they don't get in the way. I don't think they have to be good at everything. That would be demoralizing. An expectation of me as a parent. They're going to change the world in their area of strength. I just want their weaknesses to be strong enough they don't get in the way. When it comes to those areas that you are particularly strong at, those are the areas that are going to make your marriage marriage sing. Those are going to be the areas that you naturally give yourself to and engage with your spouse most naturally. Use those as your strengths. Be aware of your weaknesses and work on them enough that they don't get in the way. Uh, that's what you're after there. It's not that you want to be 10s across the board. Uh, you just don't want to be 10s and 2s. Uh, it would be much better to be 8s and 5s. Um, now, um, the, moving to the last quote here, Tim Keller. He says, the paradox is that friendship cannot merely be about itself. It must be about something else. Something that both friends are committed to and passionate about besides one another. And, um, you know, with this, um, you know, we ask the question, what is it that's going to keep a couple talking for a lifetime that keeps them meaningfully engaged with one another? Is it a super elaborate appendix with 250 conversation topics and a magnificent Kleenex box? No, it's going to be two people who are invested in the same thing and they've got enough tools to keep them on the same track. You know, there's a plumb line that we use all the time here uh, at Summit uh, that I don't think always gets its full marital implication. Discipleship happens in relationship. Uh, And that should happen most in the relationship that we spend the most time with, that the most of that interaction of living for something larger than ourselves, of knowing what's going on in each other's lives so we can encourage and spur one another on, what we've tried to do and what we've talked about with listening and then hearing day-to-day communication is just give us tools to do that. So if I could give you kind of a closing picture of what I would want chapters 2 and 3 to allow. It would be the ability for the two of you to frequently enter each other's world. So in terms of that metaphor, uh, asking good questions, that's knocking. It's knocking on the door. When I ask a question, I'm saying, can I come in? What was the highlight of your day? What was the biggest challenge of your day? Can I come in when I listen me walking in that's me becoming a part of your world when i share that's inviting you into my world and we begin to realize in that that's that's kind of what jesus said in one of his closing portrayals of himself in the book of revelation he said behold i stand at the door and knock jesus the perfect gentleman I'm here. I want to listen. I want to be a part of your life. If you'll let me in, I'll sit down. I'll have a meal with you. I want to know the details of your life. I don't want to just shave you and see you do effective things. I want to be a part of it. And that's what I hope that we facilitated here is that kind of relationship with one another that has enough variety and topics to it that we'll do that over the course of decades. So with that being said, let me pray and we have just a few closing announcements. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the gift of prayer. That you're interested. Lord, that when when we tell you about the challenges that it took for us to get here. When we want to talk with you about the things that we learned, that we're excited about. The things that we're not sure we'll do as well as we want to. Every bit of that brings a smile to your face, raises your eyebrows, and you want to know about it. Lord, let us be that for one another as well. Let us love each other as you love your church. And let us experience all of the encouragement and the power and the warmth and the closeness uh, that builds from that interaction. We love you and we trust you. It's your name we pray. Amen.